Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. What does it look like or feel like to feel undervalued? Or you could reverse it. You know, what do you need from your workplace, your boss, direct boss or leadership, whoever? What do you need to feel valued in the workplace? Because feeling valued or unvalued is a game changer when it comes to building culture and creating engagement and, uh, and performing at peak. So let's brainstorm. Let's build a list. In fact, let's just build a referendum right now. We'll swallow sign and say, give it to the boss. We've all decided we need this to feel valued. I would say one of the key things is acknowledgement, right? I think when you acknowledge and not wait for a review to do stuff makes people more engaged and valued, right? So I mean, even if no matter how small it is, I think consistent acknowledgement is key because you, if there is something brewing, it's like putting out the fire before it becomes huge. So somebody may be feeling something bad, but then you say, hey, you know, I really like the way you did this, or this is something good. All of a sudden it balances out right there as opposed to waiting till a third quarter or end of the year to say, hey, you know, you did all of these things good kind of thing, right? And maybe too late by then, especially in a market where it's really hard. People will move because of money. I see Randall's ESN knows going on and stuff like that. But yes, people will move for money. But at some point, if they know that they're going to be acknowledged and valued, then for that differential in, in, in salary, they'll say, you know what? I don't know if I want to go through the headache of that learning curve and a new manager. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's expected there. At least I know this guy or this person or this individual um, values me. Very spot on. Fatima, that's right. Money is not always the way to show value. You know, I, I just want to come back to something Al Karim had said earlier, and it, it does sit, and we see this in a lot in in societies, or I'm seeing it a lot in different circumstances. A participation award just for showing up loses its value over time, right? And we see this happen in the kids' soccer games, or or you know other little events where, hey, thanks for coming out. Here's your participation award. Well, you know, I got you know paid at the end of a pay cycle your participation award for showing up to work or booking vacation time, sick day, whatever it works, right? That's your participation award, right? It's the over and above and beyond that happens in the moment. And that's where I think the key component of this lives. I mean, we can all talk about annual reviews and our standard rates and whatever else. Well, that's just your, your overall participation award and whatever the company is acknowledged as either the grid or the new budget plan or whatever it is. But if we're missing things in the moment, you know, and that's when I did the 50-50 on does money, money do everything? Well, no, because we don't have to give acknowledgement through money. Now, sure, there are moments where, yes, you know, we are driven by the, the, the money. And the reason we do the things we do is because we all want some form of income. But it's not 100% the only feeder for, for making somebody feel good. I mean, if I, if I give you 150% for the next 10 weeks, is money going to change something? No. No, if I give you 80% for the next two weeks, is money going to change something? Or are you going to take it away from me? 
because I didn't perform at 100% for the next 10 weeks? No, we're going to have a different conversation, but it's not taking it away from me, right? Whereas I think just it's it's in the now, and I think that's where, and I mean, in my corporate experience, it's different in the role that I'm in now and the things that I do outside of the role that I'm in now. It's in the moment. You have to capture it. You have to see it, and you have to be able to say something right now in this space Make a mental note of it, right? Acknowledge that person in that moment, but you can you can jot it down in their file. You can talk about it when you finally get a chance to like, okay, we can do something else about this. I, my budget's changed. It's now it's a new quarter. I know what new numbers are, but you caught the thing in the moment, which gave the opportunity to acknowledge a person. You may not be able to financially award them, but now that person knows you're paying attention to them. You know they're out there, you know the work that they're doing, or you know the thing that they've accomplished, the project, whatever it is, right? And 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 the the bonus portion of it may or may not be financial. It may come later, but at least you took the time to know that your staff is doing something. Absolutely. Right on, Randall. In the moment is so powerful. Brene Brown says that to create connection or to to have connection with a human being, you know, that, that person and we all want to feel seen, heard, and valued, right? And so, yeah, when you can show somebody, hey, I, I see you, and catch them at that, right? Give a reward the win. I think that's huge. That builds that connection. Um, as Randall was talking, I want to share a story, right? So my kids are now grown up to sort of adults in university, and so we were cleaning up a few months ago and going back to your point of getting the trophy for just participation, right? And we had all of these trophies that had they had received for participations. And then there were some that they had actually won because of their hard work. And as we were cleaning up, they actually sorted it out themselves. I don't want this. I just got this for being there. And then the ones that they had actually won, they kept it in their room and said, you know, this is important to me. So it's the same thing with, you know, work, right? I, I think giving everybody because they've shown up to work, they're only getting paid for that. They don't need that additional I'm going to say bonus for lack of words here, but, and then we need to have that accountability of both acknowledgement and that bonus comes, I think, as a combination. It, it, it's not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Thanks, Alkrim. I wanted to add a little bit onto that. When we talk about participation, just remember for some people, showing up to work is hard enough. Getting into that office space when they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with is hard enough. So participation is a big struggle for them. And acknowledging that as a leader and getting to know them as a true connection and really getting to know them and understand what they're going through is going to give them the value to show up even more. They're not even looking for the pat on the back for doing the extra job. They just want to be acknowledged that I showed up because I'm having a hard struggle to even wake up in the mornings. So we can't, we can't discount that either. I agree 100%. We have to show care to people far more than what we have in the corporate world and everywhere else. I want to throw out another idea that's a little bit maybe feel free to push back on. I think we've made it too easy for people at times. What if we respected them enough to believe that they could do more and actually call them to a higher level and gave them opportunity, rewarded it for sure, but what about intentional leadership development when we recognize somebody that's why i use the word recognition you recognize them saying you've got something in you and i would love to work with you to pull it out um, i think that that also shows value 
when people have a cause, when they tap into the cause, and it's not just a nine to five, I think they work harder and they feel more valued. Uh, I think sometimes we make it too simple, too easy. We don't want to upset the apple cart. So we just kind of let people just do their thing. It takes a shed reality. Mark, I love that because how many of us have this, I'm not good enough in us, right? And for them to feel I am good enough, that's showing them a connection and really caring, right? So working through that is important. I call it strength-based leadership. We look strong, not what's wrong. Yeah. I think there's a fine line in this though, Mark. I, I, I agree. And, and you, you ask for pushback and I'm not necessarily pushing back. I think we just, through personal experience, if there's nine jobs to get done and eight of them interest me and one of them is my primary out of that eight, I'm going to get all eight jobs done. I don't mean to find really cool and creative ways because they interest me. There's extra learning, there's extra PD, whatever, right in the mix. But what the fine line in that lies is again, right? You say intentionality and, and recognition. This is now coming back to a leadership thing, right? If I can accomplish all of these different things because they interest me and I can add it to my plate and I can manage my time because I figured all of that out before I jumped into a new project or projects. There's a, there's a real scary place of now I'm doing three or four different jobs within my one job and none of it is being potentially recognized or only a portion of it's being potentially recognized. And I'm going to lose my morale because I've learned, figured out, trained, and actually taught other people how to do something similar, but I'm still in that little space that I didn't want to be in. And that I took this other thing on, not necessarily that I was looking for financial reward. I was, you know, not necessarily seeking acknowledgement. I found this space that I could do a certain project or handful of projects in, but it's a slippery slope again, back to not letting things slide as leaders, when we can recognize that individuals have just taken it on, right? I work for a not-for-profit, right? We're, we're a small team. We all do a bunch of extra things, but if you're not taking that moment and being in the moment, you're going to recognize people are going to stop doing the extras because they, there's nothing in it for them anymore. Or they've, they've worked themselves too hard and too into the bone that they've lost all aspects of the life portion of the life work balance. Yeah. I think that's a different thing than what I was saying. So I'm, I'm sorry. I think it's valid. Like what you just said, I think that's important. Part of the care is to make sure your people aren't burning out doing too much, but you bring up another good point and that is make sure we get people in the places that they thrive. Like a lot of times we have people in the wrong positions. What about that as a show of care? It's like, I can see that you're struggling with this. It's not giving you life. Now that you've been here a while, what would give you life? What can we move towards? You can't promise what you can't promise, but what if we actually trained and equipped or gave opportunity to move in that direction? I think they would value that. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think overworking people is a big problem. I, I don't think that shows care at all. Uh, and if, even if we're passionate about it, because I've had career in, in corporate, but I've also had mostly nonprofit. So, you know, people are passionate about the mission and they just, they burn themselves out. So I think part of care is making sure people aren't burning themselves out. But I yeah, think I mean, if they're working in their strengths, they don't burn out as quickly as when we have them doing things that aren't in their strengths. Yeah, you bring up uh, two things, Mark. This Gallup stuff's fresh on my mind because I, I like to go back to their site fairly frequently. 
And the two things that are the new paradigms from the surveys, one is that people want to work from strengths. They're, you know, they're tired of the taking the weaknesses, but they, they just focus on their strengths and let them excel. But the other one is that people want development plans. So it's like, you can, this is where I think we can challenge them to help them, you know, push them and, you know, allow them to push themselves to whatever level they want to go. But at the same time, you know, as Randall pointed out, not push everything on them so that they're overworked and burnt out, stressed out, over-caffeinated, all that stuff. And that is, uh, I'm going to use the word systemic because we have a real problem throughout the workforce of process over people. And this is, you know, like we're all in agreement, I think, and we're hopefully, you know, the champions to try to keep this momentum moving forward with this change of people over process. Process is certainly important, but people are more important. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. And when people become just the means to the ends, then they, they burn out, they have no life, they can't get all the work done, they don't get recognized, they're not seen, they're not heard, they're not felt, right? So... People over process, I think ultimately is we, if we can solve that, that mystery right there, if we can figure out the formula to help managers, leaders change their mindset to people over process. I think we would have a lot better world, not just a lot better workplace. I want to touch on that, Kevin, because I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other couple of weeks ago. He's a, he's a current employee working with, in private business, small, small team. And the owners are retiring. The intent is he is buying the business. All all the check boxes are in play. The deadline for for the retirement is you know planned. He's he's moving company. Like all of it is taken care of. So we're having a conversation specifically around people and around his staff and and what he's as an owner, the people he's going to have to bring in because he's going to be leaving a role to become an owner and manage a business um, that he's been an employee at for a number of years. And I I brought up so where I work in this space right now, we get a ridiculous amount of sick days. I say ridiculous because we far exceed the employment values of the current province I've been because we see value in a sick day. Provincial standard in Saskatchewan is three unpaid sick days per year. Wow. When we, when we, yeah, it, which to me is, is kind of pathetic when we know that most coughs, colds and flus last seven to 10 and you don't want people going to work sick. We should probably look at balancing that out, but that's, we won't talk about provincial or federal legislation in workplace because that's awful. Yeah, we'll skip that one. Where I was going with it though is by the value. And so he was talking about these, nobody gets sick days, nobody, whatever. And I said, what if you gave your staff 15 sick days? What if? Run with me here. And he's like, well, there's cost to that and whatever. And I'm like, tell me the cost. Tell me the cost of a person taking a sick day. And he's like, well, if they're a key player in the game, I said, but isn't every person on the team key? Let's let's rule that out. Let everybody's in a line together. What's the cost? And he was like, well, it's a day's lost wage that I have to pay, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, sure. 
but if that employee is a regular 80 percenter, right, we can all say that we give 110 percent, 100 percent of our workday. We know that that's bullshit. We all have our moments. We all have our time. So I, I run with the 80. We can give 80. We know that we have a mental capacity to throw 80 out however it functions in our day. I said, if that person is dealing with something and you're not aware of it and something happened at home or their animal or their life or whatever's happening, and they come to work and they're going to give you 20% because their mental capacity is so focused on trying to solve a totally different problem. What is the loss that you're experiencing? And he was like, well, if they're like that, I don't want them at work. You know, if they're going to be here, I want them to work. I'm like, you're missing my point though. If that person's a regular 80 and now they're giving you 20, what did you lose by giving them the sick day? What did you financially lose? Nothing at that point because they weren't going to give you much while they were sitting there because they are so distracted by life and the thing they have to take care of. At the end of the story, you have better morale and you have, you gave 15 sick days in a year. And he's like, okay, well, what about the people that abuse it? And I'm like the 10%, the whole reason why they say don't use a blow dryer when you're in the shower, right? We make rules for the 10% said in a staff of 10 people, you have one you have one person who may abuse privilege. That's a whole separate conversation. You're punishing eight or nine individuals for the fault of one. You're dealing with one person while allowing everybody else to have the same thing. And it's all, it's all just in your conversation. And if they're only going to give you 20% today, but you give them the, the ability to take a day for free on their end, mental health day, brain day, whatever word you want to give it, and they can accomplish or they can figure out what their next steps are going to be and they can come back tomorrow and they're, you know, back at their 80 and in fact feeling really good. So we're probably somewhere between a 90 and a hundred because we just felt like we got some of our own personal baggage dealt with. You lost nothing, nothing. And you gained. And, and up another point that came up completely, Kevin, you'd said something earlier and it reminded me of a quote I heard when I first started into, into some of the leadership stuff I was doing, no more about your staff than they do about you. You know where your staff's at. You know what their capacity is. You know what's going on in their life, their kids, their, their, their outside of workspace. Listen to those conversations. You don't have to be present, but listen to your staff so that you have a clue as to what may come up against you or what you can do or provide differently, right? Different, different modifications for, for life or work or whatever to allow the flexibility to handle that that lives out there because you know what your staff are doing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Spot on again, by the way, that last comment you made reminded me, and I may get this wrong as far as the company. I believe it was the Ritz Carlton, a friend of mine uh, who worked with as a consultant, the uh, current leadership of Ritz Carlton. So the original founder, and in fact, actually, I think it's the, the current CEO who is still carrying this on, knows the names and the life of every single individual employee, and they've got many. So you can walk down the hall, see a, a house, uh, you know, a housekeeper, and be able to say, "Hello, Maria," you know, "How's Bob?" or whatever. And that, I mean, that's a unique talent. First of all, <laughs> to have that kind of memory, I don't have that kind of memory, uh, but it really steps out because see, they've got a, a tremendous culture, and it's because people feel seen, right, heard, and valued. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to
to 9 a.m. Pacific Time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. I think it was also Justice uh, Thomas. Sorry, it's Thomas. Oh, that, yes. Yeah, also talked about that. Yep, yeah, you think you're right. And I think part of it, too, is on the person as far as being valued or that they value me is uh, just being genuine with what they say. You know, the, don't come across to say what you think I want to hear, you know, or is the response, you know, just say. It's not that I'm going to think anyone's dumb or incompetent or wrong. You know, it's, uh, I think I see that more valuable, you know, to me than just trying to just say what you think I want to hear, you know, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm good, when that's really not the situation. Yeah, be genuine. Yeah, yeah be genuine. You know, as we're talking, having this conversation, what comes up for me is we have a number of different people's styles of working. You know, you have the people that show up to work that just want to get the job done, and they do a great job at that. Nothing wrong with that at all. They do a perfect job. You have people that are growth-minded. You have people that are fixed-minded. But Kevin, when you talked about people versus process, all of those styles have to be acknowledged of where they're at, not what you need them to be at. So the worker bee that shows up, you know, the factory worker that's just doing their assembly, doing their job, they're doing a great job. But because they don't stand out, of that growth mindset, having input, running around, showing up, they get ignored sometimes. They're just as important as a person who's got this growth mindset where they want to grow the company and they're engaged and want to just, they're the loud ones. We forget about those people sometimes. And the acknowledgement, the care, the respect, Mark, that's coming out of your book, they all have to feel that. And that's what gets them going. They're not looking for anything else. They're not looking for any extra kudos. They just want to be acknowledged for them showing up to work to do their job. And they're okay with that. As a leader, are you okay with them just showing up and doing their job? Good. Good point. Kevin, while you're doing that, I want to share something. So recently I got uh, a new, I guess, uh, tool in my portfolio, which is called Catapult. And the whole premises of this tool is how does an organization run as a world-class company? So he did research and has developed a software to help organizations maintain and run. And there's seven drivers and I won't go through all of the drivers, but the key differential in this particular tool compared to everything else is that the number one driver is what he calls the U driver. And it starts actually right at the top with the CEO or the owner of the company. And you know, what are your goals? How many holidays do you want to take? What books do you want to read? Not necessarily business only or how, how much money do I want the company to make, but it's all about this personal things or how are you developing yourself as an individual? And that you driver then goes to the entire company. So every manager needs to know, going back to Randall's point, what are your you drivers? What is it that you want to achieve as an individual? And that, that's one of the key factors of how world-class companies operate. Here's another one. We're talking about leadership. 
But what about just peers acknowledging and appreciating each other? What's the one thing you can do today to acknowledge your peer or your colleague? You know, Licky, I, I, I want to suggest something over here. Acknowledgement is one. I think if we can shift that thought process slightly to say, unfortunately, if people are within the same framework and then there is more competition sometimes of how am I doing better or how do I get a better bonus, whatever that may be. And how do you create a more cooperative environment so that people are, so you're actually not necessarily just complimenting, but also assisting in their growth. And how do you accomplish that? Because I think overall, then you win and the company wins, but then there is less of that competitive environment and more of a cooperative environment. Well, how about we, uh, I'll even challenge you back on that one. How about we not worry about the work environment? How about appreciating and acknowledging the person for who they are? Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then all of those judgments go away. Well, yeah, you know, corporate. Absolutely. Love that. What if we, on the, uh, on the onboarding of a new employee, that there isn't some, I mean, you do all kinds of tests and, and whatnot, you make them go through all these hoops. What, what if you actually had asking them short questionnaire, asking them, what does recognition look like to you? What is acknowledgement? What brings you? You know, so that you have that kind of individual understanding of each one uh, that you're bringing on. Now, I know that might get difficult in big corporations, but they could still have it in their file so that a, a manager or whatever can go and look in their file and say, oh, they, they like they like written cards or they like, that might be too much work, but isn't that what this is about? We want to, we need to be intentional and put the work in to make people feel connected and, and uh, content. Mark, I appreciate you even bringing in the onboarding concept because I have onboarded enough people to not want to onboard anymore, but my, I, I do it now with a whole different aspect or a whole different view than I ever used to. And it's meeting them where they are. My very first question, if I'm going to sit down and train somebody on something they have never used, which most likely they haven't, right? Go through these conversations as well. Have you ever used something similar, right? And I try to draw out different situations that similar things have come up. What is your learning style? And I have to hear what the person is saying because I know what my learning style is. And I know that my teaching style or my training style is very similar to my learning style. But if somebody's learning style is very different than mine, I then drill further. Okay. I don't quite understand what exactly do you want? How do you want to work through this process? Because I need to know to set you up for, for, or not for failure, but for success. What is the best way you're going to learn this? How are you going to comprehend this knowledge? And again, yeah, it goes back to just keeping, keeping that in file. If I have to teach or work with somebody on something brand new that I've learned and I've got to share the knowledge, I need to know what all of these different staff members or all these different peers, even if I'm sharing it with, with a, a, you know, a linear colleague, what is the style I need to present this to ensure that they understand it and that I'm giving them what they need to succeed. It's good, Randall. We, uh, we actually have a assessment program called higher sense to help with that. It combines, uh, the personality styles with the, the hidden motivating drivers and the, uh, critical thinking skills. Um, so kind of prints out a pretty darn accurate report gives, gives you insights. So I wish more entity, more companies, more managers would use those kind of tools because then you would know. And you would be able to build, you know, you know what to talk about, you know what to build, build upon. You get to know that person, you know, way more 
or a lot quicker than than it would take otherwise. Sorry, Kevin, I may not share this with you guys, but Kevin, a couple of my clients that I have are using our BS assessment as the onboarding tool mm-hmm. and actually sitting down and talking to them about their blind spots and getting to know them, how they are, how they behave, what they're looking for. And that's creating this relationship of, wow, this person really cares for me and I understand what I'm up against. So yeah. that's a very, you know, any, any and all assessments work, any and all conversations work. It's just a matter of stepping out of the zone and really caring and connecting with that person. At the onboarding level, ongoing even, doesn't have to be onboarding. We all have employees or peers that we work with for weeks and months and years that we don't know that well. And we're just wondering, why are they not talking to me? Because you don't know them. I like to have people go back and repeat their, their, you know, either it's a personality profile or some element of that onboarding process six, eight weeks after, and then somewhere along, not necessarily in line with annual review because our styles change, right? As we become more comfortable, we start to realize more about ourselves, right? That self-awareness ticker goes up a little further as we age and become more comfortable with what we really care or don't care about or what we really need or don't need in our own lives. Right. So I always like to come back to, you've said, you know, somebody may have highlighted something and I'm seeing it a little bit different. Hey, you know what, for fun, why don't you take 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, and refill this thing out and let's, let's have a look at what's maybe changed so that I can learn more about you, but I can meet you where you are because so many will say, oh, I'm this certain type, right? They answer all the questions based on what they're like at work, not what they're like at home or in the outside world. And and then when they finally start to figure out these two things are not, you know, they're, they're not separate entities. They're one person and what they really feed down to be like. We're past the the onboarding process. We're past the initial weeks with an organization, right? We're, we're well into life with this individual. And, and you start to notice this is not the paperwork I saw at the beginning. This is not the answers I had when we started. Something's not quite clicking. Let's find out what that thing is. And it's usually through that that I learned, oh, you said you were super extroverted. In fact, you hate people. You were so introverted. It hurts. But you put on that mask. And now I'm seeing it's not supposed to be there. That's just one of my examples. Hmm. Thanks, Randall. Any last thoughts or comments? Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, Please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.